Welcome to Window of Opportunity, a Stargate rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 5, Episode 20, The Sentinel, which I had completely forgotten exists. Hey! Totally could have been called uh, Extreme Measures. I suppose, (laughs) yes. It's another Extreme Measures. Yeah. This episode is, is not great. It's... Like, I don't, like, the general, like, the general idea of the plot that there's still kind of, like, loose strings from the rogue NID bullshit that all went down, like, I get. But this, I think my issue is just, like, with, like, the Sentinel itself, it is just way too complicated by half. And because they write in that thing that it was made hundreds of years ago and nobody who lives now knows how it works, we don't know how it works. So it's just a big plastic machine with lights and humming. And it's just like, it's like, but I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of this. <laughs> I'm not a fan of this episode. I'm going to say, I'm not a fan. Like, it's fine, but it's utterly forgettable to me. Well, what I found interesting about this episode is they, you know, they always do the thing where, you know, people got caught doing something wrong and they were like, but we thought we were doing good work. We thought we were saving the planet, you know, that because they were doing something wrong of course you could easily be like no you were stealing things and no you were but this one all they did was like i mean they did end up killing a guy that was not good i mean all they did was murder somebody (laughs) right but in the end like all they really did was go in examine something take it apart and put it back together so like what i find interesting about this one is if they had been successful in figuring out how it worked and making one of our own, would we still be like, how dare you, you did something wrong? Or would we be like, oh, well. You shouldn't have done that. You you shouldn't have done that, but now we have this super awesome weapon that will protect the planet. Yeah, Yeah, it it is a tricky thing. And I think because the NI, the, that rogue NID arm, their mission was always acquire technology. So there was always some element of like stealing involved. Usually this mm-hmm. was, this was definitely a very strange case where, yeah, they couldn't actually like take the weapon back because, you know, it's in a big cave and you can't move it. But yeah, I don't know. It, that, is, that is a, that is a quandary to ponder for a while. Yeah, that's that's really what stuck out to me for this one is that is would this have been a situation of like, well, (laughs) you weren't supposed to, but yeah, but they did end up killing a guy. So that pretty much, you know, just negated any sort of of argument to the positive of the situation. Yeah, I think my other problem is like, well, I'll I'll save it for when we get there because it comes up pretty quick at the at the beginning of the Okay, so this is The Sentinel. It originally aired on May 3rd, 2002. It was written by Ron Wilkerson and directed by Peter DeLuise. And on the commentary, we have Peter with special guest Gary Jones, a.k.a. Norman Walter Harriman Davis, whatever his character's name is at this point in time. The, you know, gate tech guy, which they do have a discussion at the beginning about, like, the whole name kerfuffle with his character. So just this commentary in general is really fun because they're both very funny guys, so... Highly recommend just going to listen to this commentary because it is good. Although Gary's really, really quiet for some reason. Like he was sitting too far from the microphone. So maybe if you can listen with headphones, it's a little easier to hear Gary. 
but no, what did he did. have to say about the name kerfuffle oh just that it's a thing and they don't know they don't know what like, his name is well if you, like if the his it's seen very clearly in this episode that the name on his little badge patch thing says norman davis but then Rick called him Walter in 2001. So it's like, I think it would have been funny if then they just kept switching the name tag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would have been funny. Like one day Norman Davis, then Walter Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Different names. Yeah. (laughs) And they never acknowledged it ever. I mean, it could be that like Walter is his middle name, which maybe Jack found out and Walter was like, his grandfather's name so the name walter stuck with him more than norman did you know there's there there are ways to explain it yeah but explain it away yes (laughs) okay so in this episode sg1 must turn to a pair of convicted criminals to save a world from annihilation by the ghoul I, I was talking about this with like my son was around while I was watching it today and as I was coming upstairs to record this he he I don't know why he asked this specific question but he asked how would you badly describe this episode and I was like well Rachel might do that <laughs> in our season five wrap-up because that's uh-huh. what she does that's so, what I do that's what you do yes okay so uh, this episode starts off with a previously on re- recapping events from the season two episode Touchstone and season three's Shades of Grey. However, at the end when they're showing like everybody getting arrested in the gate room, they had to include new footage of the NID characters from this episode being arrested because they weren't in any of the previous episodes. Yeah, I didn't think so. Which that's one of my other issues with the show is like we know... We've already become familiar with people who were part of the Rogue NID operation. Why not bring back a couple of those guys? Like, why introduce new characters that we don't care about? Because then when they die at the end, it doesn't really matter. Because I have no connection to these people. I don't know. Strange. Very strange. Yeah, it was a very weird way to introduce them. But, yeah. Yeah. So the episode proper starts and Hammond comes down into the control room as SG-9 is 11 hours overdue for their return which that seems like a very long time for him to be like hey where are they where are they oh it's where been, have they been? Like, i mean like you know an hour maybe sure fine but like two hours you should start asking questions and finding out what's going on like 11 hours come on anyway yeah um so they start dialing the gate when Jack comes in with his mission report, but Hammond isn't really paying attention, and Jack asks what's up. And SG-9 was on a diplomatic mission to Latona, which was one of the worlds affected by the rogue NID actions. The gate connects, and they bring up the MALP radio, and Sergeant Grogan, who should be Lieutenant Grogan, who was one of the, you know, the new recruits from the previous episode, when they had, like, the four with Jennifer and all of them. yeah. Yeah, which I, I I believe I had said we never saw him again because, again, I completely forgotten about this episode and that he was in it. Yep. So, yeah. But yeah. anyway, um, is the one who responds and it's quite staticky, but things don't seem to be going well. He does manage to get across that there are Jaffa at the gate and they can't get back. There's also some staff weapon fire that's heard and then they shut down the gate and that's not good. No. Things are happening. No. 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 One of the funniest bits in the commentary happens here where Gary goes in or Peter mentions at first about how he's like Gary's always like reaching and like touching things and stuff. And they get into some of the technical stuff of like how a kind of 
extra background actor recurring needs to do that kind of thing. But then it devolves into Gary having taken an eight week course on how to reach for things and like <laughs> how this like the shoulder action and how you, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, that's just part of like proper stuff that's in the commentary. The proper yeah. on camera reachiness. Yes. That's how, funny. you know, to stay involved in the action, even when you're not speaking, you know, kind of stuff. So anyway, and that kind of like continues. Do you suppose he does that in his regular life too, when he's listening to a story that somebody else is doing and he just kind of instinctively joins <laughs> The action without without being part of it. It's not entirely possible. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we come back from the opening credits, and Hammond and SG-1 are in the briefing room watching a video from the previous NID mission to Latona, where one of the residents of that planet says hello to the camera and seems very confused by what a camera is. Henry Gibson. I know he's so oh. they, they talked about like the reason they hired him was they needed somebody who looked like a sad puppy. Oh my god. To like yes. be this character. And he is he is he is sad puppy like personified very much. Yes. He will always be two things for me. I am yeah. old enough to have watched Laugh-In reruns. Me too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. And the Burbs. Yes. Mm-hmm. That yep. that is where yep. that's are... where he lives for me. So oh. me too. Same. Yeah. So the reason the NID went there is that the Lutonans have a device that they call the Sentinel that offers worldwide protection from Gould attacks. Based on Hammond's call with SG9 earlier, he thinks they may have tampered with the device and it is no longer working. So they need to go fix it because it's very likely that a Gould mothership is on the way now to Latona. So SG1 needs to go clean up the NID's mess again. But before they head out, Sam says they really need to go talk to Greaves and Lieutenant Kershaw to find out if they did actually do something to device to the device, what they did, so they know how to then fix it. So Jack goes to visit Greaves, who's not happy to see Jack and not willing to tell him anything at all. I okay, so I, I, I mean, he's yeah, as we learn later, he's already on death row. So like, meh. yeah. Okay, so Jack's going to go talk to Kershaw instead. Okay, fine, he'll say something. So they found the Sentinel all by themselves because the Latonans didn't want to, like, take them to it. They snuck in, took it apart piece by piece, and put it back together exactly as they found it. Well, apparently not, since there are now Gould and Jaffa on Latona. So Jack wants him to write down exactly what they did, but Grease is like, no, it's way too complicated. No matter how good you think you are, if you want to fix it, you have to take me and Kershaw with you, or you get nothing. Which I love those lines of like, I don't care how smart you think you are. Yeah. You're not as smart as what we figured out. Meh. Yeah. So, okay. If that's the only option, that's what they got. Mm-hmm. So we see Greaves back at the SGC as a UAV is being launched. They spot two of the large Jaffa cannons near the gate, paint them so they can be destroyed. And then there's another like, what? Missiles lower down from the ceiling? Like what? Like when is that there? Why? What? I, I, a, I another know. like no. Uh. Uh-uh. Um. But <laughs> they launch one at a time, go through the gate, and take out the cannons. So yay for that at least. And yeah. then it's determined that SG3 will take points when the teams head through the gate. Yay. So. So SG-1, SG-3, Greaves, and Kershaw head into the gate room. Jack tells Tilk to head out with SG-3, and there's a little goof here because he calls the leader Major Warren, but that character is actually Major Lawrence, but the actor's last name is Warren. 
Oh, that's funny. Or wait, no, sorry. The, the other way other around. The other way around? The other way around. His, the character is Major Warren, but the actor's last name is Lawrence. So maybe Rick just, you know, made a little oopsie. He fudged. He fudged a little bit. Um, yeah, so Took's going to go watch SG- SG-3's back, and they'll be right there. Uh, Greaves, again, voices his objection to going on the mission unarmed. And again, Jack does not care. But hey, there's an archaeologist with a gun. And then Daniel does the whole, which, which, and then the ball is going as he's looking at his knife, which, you know, I, yeah, snarky Daniel. I always love. <laughs> I do enjoy snarky Daniel. I like him. Yes. So, but Jack's like, as a reminder, the only thing you're doing is fixing what you broke. Like, that's it. So you don't need a weapon because you, there's no reason for you to have one. So SG-1 exits the gate and Tilk comes running back to tell them that SG-3 ran off after some Jaffa who survived the missile attack so they can try and prevent them from reporting back to whoever is in charge that, hey, Earth people are here. Uh, Greaves then points them in the direction of the Sentinel, of the Sentinel, and as they head off, Daniel asks Jack how many years they got taken off their sentence for helping with this, and Jack says that they'll actually get a few more years because they were previously on death row. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. That's a pretty steep sentence. Well, the, I think it treason really is what yeah, it's not. Yeah, yeah, that's so, yeah. Okay, if that's what yeah. if that's what they ultimately got, yeah, if that'll so, do. Yeah. <laughs> so as they make their way through the forest, they come across Grogan just sleeping out in the open, totally unprotected, not hidden under a bush or anything. He's just laying there against a tree. It's like okay, really, you know. okay. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. But uh, he's apparently the only member of SG9 left. Which is kind of funny because last episode he was in, he was the one who always got shot all the time. And now he's the only one who hasn't gotten shot. Oh, okay, for funny. a bit later. But still, kind of funny. <laughs> he's Maybe they did it on not. purpose. I could be, possibly. Uh, Sam asks if she should radio to SG3 that Grogan will be heading back to the gate. But no, Jack wants Grogan to take him into the city. So they're going to split up with Sam, Tilk, and Daniel going to the Sentinel with Grease and Kershaw, and Jack and Grogan going to meet up with Marul, who's the guy from the video earlier, who's apparently the, the person in charge on Latona. Henry Gibson. Yeah. Yep. So Jack and Grogan get to a hill overlooking the city, and they will need to find a back way in because there's just, like, one main road, and it is, like, way too exposed and open for them to just, like, walk down Main Street. Like, that's right. Not, that's not a yes. good idea. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the team have found the cave where the Sentinel is, and it is very well disguised as a pile of, like, cut-down trees and shrubbery and very easy to miss if you don't know that it's there. This was interesting in the commentary. So Peter called that thing, like, the beaver dam, and finding it, like, they found that. Like, that was just there in, in really? the forest. Yes. Oh, wow. Which was really convenient because the interior set had already been built, and it has that kind of root branch texture on the walls like it's inside some kind of cave of trees so when they found it it was like oh my god it's perfect so nice so did i miss or do they ever describe like so they the planet usually has this amazing thing to keep gold away do they ever Mm -hmm. kind of describe like how the gold actually knew that it was disabled or were they just like poking to find out what was going on and hey the thing isn't working or it's really go over that not really but i think tilt kind of mentioned that they probably just like you said just went as a test to be like hey is this thing still working is this thing we hate still there thing we yeah kind of like you know thor's hammer kind of thing or something like that like is is it there or not and oh surprise it's not so then you know the jaffa called home and be like hey we're still here we didn't die so come on in 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah. So in Marul's office, there is a Jaffa of the Lord Svarog, who is berating him for his people not following their new rules. And the Jaffa threatens Marul and his people with death and destruction. But Marul just assures him that the Sentinel will protect them. As there's been no proof of the Sentinel's existence, the Jaffa thinks that it's not real. But Marul insists that it is. And then Jaffa's like, well, then we will find it and destroy it. Naha. Would you like some fun facts about Svarog? Would I ever? Okay, so I did do a little blurb earlier because Svarog was one of the system lords at the summit. But, like, he Ooh, didn't which one was he? He, he? he didn't say anything, but, like, he just, like, he walked by Daniel in the hall one time and then was in the oh. room. Okay. <laughs> he's just an extra. Um, Alrighty. But then it's interesting that he was seen but not heard there, and here he is heard but not seen. But there's actually nobody even credited with, like, the voice of Svarog. Like, anywhere that I could find that has that information about episodes. So, that's kind of funny. So, they just kind of grabbed somebody that wasn't busy? Could be. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, Anyway, okay. So, Svarog is the Slavic god of fire and blacksmithing. He's mentioned in only one source, the Primary Chronicle, which is believed to have been compiled in Kiev around the 1110s by the monk Nestor. But this mention seems to really just be a translation of the name of the Greek god of fire and blacksmithing, Hephaestus, into Svarog. As far as as Hephaestus goes, he reigned in Egypt and was the first to begin forging weapons. He was also the first to decree that women should only marry one man and behave in the quote-unquote chaste way. Ugh! Lame. um, Some historians have interpreted the fire part of God of Fire in different ways. Svarog has in turn been interpreted as like celestial fire, aka like the sun, uh, atmospheric fire, meaning like lightning, or earthly fire, so like fire, fire. Um, The first two, like the sun and the lightning, aren't really widely accepted, though, as his general characteristics don't really fit with typical sky creator god mythologies. Okay. And that's really all there is on Sparrow. There's not a lot on this guy. That's kind of it. Oh, man. For being, yeah. for sounding like a badass, that's unfortunate. I know. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I got, so. Yeah, all right. Okay, so once the Jaffa leave Marul's office, Jack and Grogan enter and assure Marul that Jack is there to help. Back in the cave, they're trying to get a force field that protects the Sentinel down so that they can then get at the device. But it's hard work as the code to disable the force field is constantly changing based on the quote-unquote harmonics between the tones in each pattern. Uh, so so Daniel should shut up, yes, and, and also please stop whistling, Daniel, because that's not helping. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was in band and I have some musical knowledge, but I don't have enough to know if, like, this makes any sense. It just It just seems, like, needlessly complicated. Like, there's flashing lights and crystals that they, like touch something i don't i don't know i don't it it's it seemed like something yeah it seemed very overly complicated because if it keeps changing like they don't say how often so you know they're working and working and working on it and you don't know if like they've already had to start over eight times or not you don't know yeah how like what they I think they should probably I mean they didn't really need to for the episode but it probably would have been helpful if they had described it a little bit more of we have we have 10 seconds to get this up oh, no we have to start over we have you know like, yeah and if they and if they touch one thing wrong do they have to start over or if they got like two 
bits of it right? Do, did, are those first two still quote unquote locked in somehow? And then they just still have to get the third, like, again, it's just, it's too complicated by half. I don't, yeah. I don't like it. I had, I had also wondered like, are like, what is the key? Is it accompanying musical notes in what's playing or is it something else? I, I kind of yeah. wish I had known the answer to that one. Yeah, there's something, Daniel kind of says something a bit later, it has something to do with the colors and the tones having to go together somehow, but is like, is there like a specific tone, specific color, so you have to touch the crystal when that color is lit up, when that tone sound? I don't, again, I don't know. who knows? Anyway, we're getting bogged down. <laughs> I don't think that's something that they thought about no, when writing the episode. Absolutely they were just not. like, tones and fit, just make it sound complicated. Yes. If anybody out there knows, like, music theory, has any insight, let us know if this makes any sense. Musical combination. Yeah. Yeah. So back in Rural's office, Jack learns a bit about what Grogan and his team learned earlier from a rule about the Sentinel. Basically, no one knows how it actually works, just that it does. Grogan mentions that the Latonans have actually regressed technologically, and basically no one knows how anything works now. I feel like we might actually eventually get there ourselves <laughs> <That isn't> <laughs> <possible>. <laughs> and we're like we've, we're dedicating ourselves to like you know what uh, like philosophy and like art and like you know, those kinds of things now because nobody's going to come and you know, try and rule them or whatever they're completely safe anyway question though i yeah. mean they describe it that way that nobody nobody really knows how anything works it just does so but the caretaker in the end was a fairly young person Mm-hmm. So I had kind of wondered, like, how does he know what to do? Well, I mean, it may be that he's told what to do, but not how or why he has to do that thing. But maybe he's just told, push these things and then grab here, you know, it's sort maybe. of like a game of telephone, maybe where the directions down through the years have gotten kind of convoluted and garbled a bit. Maybe. Maybe. Marul does say once that when he was young, he did witness the Sentinel doing what it does, which is just making their enemies disappear in a bright flash of light. No one knows where they go. They're just gone. Which made me think that it was like an Asgard thing. Me too. But it, but like the writings are definitely not Asgard writings when we get a close up of the writing later. So yeah, there were some theories I saw online that maybe this is like furling related technology. We don't really know anything about the furlings. Mm-hmm. Except that they were part of the, you know, four great races, so possibly. Yeah, okay. Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Jack then tells Marul about, like, what happened two years ago when Greaves and his team visited and how Jack believes that they broke the Sentinel, but Marul doesn't believe him because of the flame that's burning on the table. Uh, he says that as long as that flame is burning, then the Sentinel will keep them safe from harm. Well, that's not true because there's the, all of the Jaffa walking around the city and like Marul has a very hard time. I, it's he kind of reminds me of the aliens from Galaxy Quest a little bit. Like he lied. Why would somebody do? What do you mean he lied? Like yeah, very yeah. like innocent and kind of childlike because he's like, he's. But they said they wouldn't do that. It's like well they did because people lie. You know. Yeah. So but no, Jack is not lying. Grief lied, but Jack is not. Outside the cave, a team of Jaffa are approaching, and Sam and Tilka get themselves ready for a little skirmish. And inside the cave, things aren't going well, even though they haven't been at it for that long. And they did mention it earlier that the first time they came here, it took them 48 hours to get the force shield down. 
So that's a really long time. Again, is it supposed to take that long? Exactly. Because if there's a force field protecting it and the caretaker needs to get in there because, you know, there's bad guys there. He can't wait for you. Like, he needs to be able to just, like, get in there. Yeah, I know. Uh, Daniel wants to try and help. And then there's suddenly the sound of gunfire heard outside. So Greaves asks Daniel for his gun. And Daniel kind of hesitates because, you know, he's not supposed to have a gun. But Greaves is like, if you want to help in here, I can definitely help out there. So, okay, fine. Gives him a gun. Uh, Greaves heads out, joins the fight. They basically need to kill all of the Jaffa that show up so none of them can report back on their location and that this is the location of the Sentinel as well. And then inside, Kershaw asks Daniel if he knows what he's listening for. And Daniel says yes, which is... Now, here, here's apparently the actual technical thing that's happening here. He's listening for the mathematical progression of the harmonic in each given pattern relative to its spectral equivalent. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> like, I know what all the words mean, but I don't know what they mean together. Say it again. The mathematical progression of the harmonic in each given pattern relative to its spectral equivalent. Okay, that sounds to me like where the colors and the music align and you're supposed to find it yeah maybe but again needlessly complicated mm-hmm. <clears throat> hey if anybody is listening and actually knows about this <laughs> help or you just have like other thoughts yeah. yeah or if you might have ideas please explain it like we're five because you know i think i'm a smart person and then stuff like this comes up and i'm just like i have no idea what is being talked about here well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that when they wrote the script, they weren't like, let's make this make perfect sense because people are going to want to know. I know. And pretty but like, much they were like, just make it sound smart. I Yeah, I know. Somebody yeah. explain it to us like we're five. Please. It would be helpful. Yeah. So back in Marul's office, Jack tells Marul, like, what's going on and what is going to happen, like, with all the Jaffa there and everything. He then offers them the chance to evacuate and leave Latona to save the lives of all of their people. And just then there are explosions through the city coming down from above because guess what? Lord Sparog is here. No, but yes. So Sam, Tilk, and Greaves have hopefully taken down all of the Jaffa, the... Um, They heard the shots from the mothership, too. So Sam orders Greaves to get back in the cave and get to work. And, you know, there's there's a bit of tension because, you know, he's not supposed to have a gun and blah, blah. And he's like, look, my gun is empty. It's fine. There's no reason for her to get all worked up considering, you know, he helped save their butts from the Jaffa. But whatever, just get back inside and get to work. And Sam radios to Tilk that she's going to go into and just kind of see what's taking so long. Marul is quite shaken up by Sparog's initial bombardment, and Jack explains it's just kind of all part of the show, that the the fire raining down, which is like bombs from the ship that's in orbit, and the ship also has very loud speakers. Another civilian... <laughs> it does, though. I mean, I how mean, my... you hear it? Yeah. I know. Like, how do they... Is it just a really big speaker? Like, where where is that coming from, really? How do you project something from space? I don't know. Yeah. Then another civilian comes running into the office and Marul asks if the person that they sent to check on the Sentinel is back. Uh, nope. And Grogan, you know, reiterates that there's Jaffa patrols everywhere. So whoever it was probably didn't make it there. And there's no other way that these people have of defending themselves. So they're kind of screwed right now at this point. Yeah, not good. Uh, Jack radios to Sam to check in, and they haven't made much progress, unfortunately. Jack again tries to get Marul to tell his people to head to the Stargate so they can evacuate. 
Or else they can just like stay in Washington City, be destroyed, and their people die, and then become host to the Gould. And like they don't have much time, so like they need to go like right now, please. Yeah. Yes. That's a tough decision, though. It is. Like I get it. Yeah. Back at the cave, they get the force field down. Yay! Yay. Tilk radios that Morjafa are coming, so Sam heads out to help Tilk hold them off while Daniel works on getting the force field back up. Back at the SG. <laughs> so. Do you think it was the same thing that they had to do to get it back up, or was it different? I mean, it seems to be. Yeah. Because Daniel's just doing the same thing that they were doing before. Yeah. So, yeah. Although you'd think putting the force field back up would be, like, just, like, a butt, like, a button. You would think so. That would be, congratulations, you got it down, button. Yes. Back at the SGC, SG3 are radioing back to update Hammond on what's going on. They're pinned down at the gate, and they've been out of contact with SG1 for several hours. Hammond tells them to hold the gate as long as they can and then head home and let SG1 kind of figure everything out on their own, as they always do, because it's their show. Mm -hmm. Um, As the call disconnects, Hammond still looks worried, and Davis tries to assure him that they'll be fine. But it's not SG1 he's worried about, it's Greaves. He then tells Davis about another NID mission that Greaves had gone on where they stole some type of beam weapon and Greaves shot back at the people chasing them and killing them. Not good. No. Kind of kind of not really sad this guy got convicted with treason. <laughs> not really, no. 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 So Greaves is working on the Sentinel with Kershaw, and Kershaw is still under the belief that they put everything back exactly as it was. There must be something else that's going wrong. But Grease is like, it's not, that's not helping. Like, let's just focus on this machine. And she can either help him or go help Daniel get the force field back up. So Tilk heads into the cave and updates Sam on the worsening situation outside. There's like so many Jaffa there. And Peter referenced it. I don't know if you noticed, but all of the Jaffa are bald. I did notice that. <laughs> it must be like the thing now. Of I guess. I don't know. Jaffa I culture could... is baldy bald. I don't know. I mean, there weren't, they weren't all bald in the warrior you know, a couple weeks ago with Emotep and everybody, there were haired Jaffa there. <laughs> maybe it was like the fashion statement where, like, we're all doing this now. Or maybe Svarog just makes all his Jaffa shave their head. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Daniel mentions that they'll want to be, like, inside the force field when they get it back up. So, also, they just, like, so the controls to activate the force field are outside the force field. So, if you get it back up, you can't be inside it, which is also interesting. Very weird. Yeah. It's very strange. It's all, it's all around. It's just very strange. Anyway. Um, so Marul has made up his mind and he will be staying with his people on Latona. He tells Jack to go, but as long as the flame burns, the caretaker lives. So this is the first mention we have of this, like, caretaker person thing, something. But, like, that's all he'll say about it. And Jack just wants to know if Marul wants to save his people or not. Because that's what this is coming down to. You can leave and save everybody or just stay and die. Back at the cave, Sam is almost out of ammo, so she heads to, like, the other side of where the force field will be, like, activated. Daniel and Kershaw are trying to get it back up, but all the noise from the weapons is making it hard to hear. But Kershaw's like, I got it! And everybody, like, inside, and just as it activates, she gets shot by a staff staff blast to the back, but luckily falls to the protected side of the force field. So everybody is safe. Greaves runs to check on her, but, like, Sam's got it. He needs to get back to working on the Sentinel. Jack radios to Sam to tell her about the caretaker, but gets no response. Grogan yells for Jack just before being zatted, and then Jack also gets zatted. 
and the Jaffa from earlier is back and tells Marul that they have found the Sentinel and demands to know how to disable the force field, but Marul is not going to do that. He's not going to tell them anything they need to know, and yes, he would die to defy this Jaffa. Oh, man. And Peter did confirm in the commentary that Marul does die. Oh. Yeah. They did film a shot of, like, the Jaffa firing the staff weapon and, like, just, like, just that, not actually seeing Marul die, but for, it was left out of the edit for whatever reason. But in case you were wondering, Marul is dead. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very sad. Poo. Back in the cave, Sam tries to radio to Jack, but it seems like maybe the force field is blocking their signal because she can't get through either. Daniel recognizes some of the symbols on the Sentinel device as similar to the writing system found on P2A463, which is not a planet we have been to on the show. Like, apparently SG-1 has been there, but the show has not. Ah, so, okay. Well, that's yes. good to know. I yes. thought I was forgetting something. I know. I was like, wait, which planet is that? It's like, oh, it's just, this is this is it. This is all this we is know about. Planet. This is yeah. all we know. Um, now, no, he can't, like, read it per se, but he recognizes a few of the symbols. One set of the symbols mean life force or life energy, and another set mean two as one. What does all of that mean? He's like, I don't know, but it must mean something. Otherwise, they wouldn't have written it down here. Very true. Kershaw then mentions the caretaker. And Greaves is like, shut up. It's not a thing. But she keeps going on, insisting that the caretaker must do more than just watch over the Sentinel. We then get a story and a flashback of what happened when they were last on Latona. So... They were poking around with the device when a man approached with a spear raise as if to attack. So Greaves shot to defend himself. And so this man was the caretaker. Kershaw wanted to take him to the city so maybe the people could save him. But no, Greaves can't allow that to happen. The caretaker then asks to just be allowed to touch the sentinel. But Greaves stops him from even doing that. So what do you think that would have done? I don't know. Like like, alerted somebody else? I, I feel like he wanted to do that to actually get rid of them. Like, they were the intruders. Maybe. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Then there's also the matter of that flame in Marul's office. Apparently, this caretaker guy has an armband that's sort of like a dead man switch that's linked to the flame. So if he dies, the flame goes out. Again, needlessly complicated. Like, what? Uh, Yeah. I don't know. And then Kershaw was able to rig it so that wouldn't happen. How, How would she mo- know? How, yeah, if it's like monitoring a pulse, it's got to be monitoring some kind of like life sign. So but did she find think... like a wild, I don't, again, what, I don't how, know. what? She knows know. what it would have done or why. Yeah. Or it's not like the caretaker would have told them. Yeah, no. So the two is one. So that that's sort of what the two would like. The caretaker and the sentinel work together. Like the two is one that Daniel had mentioned. So man and machine working together. Greaves still doesn't think that the caretaker has anything to do with this, and it's just an issue with the Sentinel machine itself. Um, Fun fact in the commentary, the flashbacks weren't originally in the episode, but the episode was running a little short, so they went back and, like, rewrote uh, that scene to include flashbacks, which... Peter and Gary both were like, that's actually, that was actually a really good idea because it helps rather than just being a, you know, we didn't just hear what happened. We saw what happened, you know, show, don't tell. Right. So I would, I agree. I do like the flashback there. Yeah. Uh, so just then the couple of Jaffa that were still in the cave leave and everybody's kind of like, what's that about? And then, oh, hey, surprise, Jack and Grogan get dragged in all tied up with the other big Jaffa. Jack orders saying. 
Jack orders Sam not to lower the force field. The Jaffa hit him with the pain stick a couple times, but he still orders them not to do what the Jaffa want. He's like, blow it up even, just so the Jaffa can't get their hands on it. Greaves then says he'll deactivate the force field and he can do it from the Sentinel device. And we see like he, Sam and Tilk all exchange like a look. And Sam is like, I'm going to let Greaves do that. And Jack is like, no, don't. And then Sam's like, I think it's the right thing to do, sir. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Please mm-hmm. catch on to what's going on. So, oh, okay. everybody's finally, oh, okay, he's going to do something. So Greaves grabs these, like, two How poles. How does he know? How does he know what to do? How does he know? I don't know. Grabs these, like, two poles on, like, the side of the device. And we see this, like, bright light sweep out. The Jaffa disappear. We see the light spread through the city, and as we like come back to the cave, Greaves is gone. Kershaw is dead. So the Sentinel did, in need, did indeed need a human component to work. Tilk thinks that the Sentinel is a very powerful weapon. It might be a good idea to ask the Latonans if they can study it. No, no, no. Do you remember why we're here, Tilk? That's yeah. no, no. Because, no, because no. So that's why I'm thinking because he disappeared when he touched it right so yes. i feel like it's every time it's needed for an enemy you know it's it's somebody making a sacrifice to do that so that's kind of why i felt like the caretaker when he wanted to touch it he wanted to get rid of the enemy <laughs> yes so here, here's the question is is the sentinel able to detect bad people or is it detecting like a gold symbiote because if it's detecting like symbiotes then why is Tilk still there because Tilk has a symbiote but Tilk is a good guy, so I don't know. But Greaves Maybe is a bad just guy. Maybe kind of fulfilling the wishes of the caretaker. Maybe some kind of like psychological link of get rid of all of these bad people. Some kind of wish fulfillment in a way. Maybe. Well, then that would have been an interesting episode for somebody, somebody you know, taking that to the next level. Yes. My final question is: as this kind of scene like winds down. We see Daniel suddenly on the other side of the force field untying Jack, which the force field is still up. So how did how was Daniel over there <laughs> untying Jack? The sentinel device, like the force field, was taken down when they used it. Okay, sure, why not? Because we have no idea how it works. So sure, I'll, I will yep. buy that. Why not? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. <laughs> and then and and then that's the end. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Like there's there. The status quo was the exact same at the end of this episode as it was at the beginning. Of, hey, why don't we study it? Probably not. (laughs) It's broken. Yeah. Like, nothing has changed for, I mean, two people are dead, but, you know, as far as our main cast and the general vibe of the show is concerned, everything is exactly the same. Yeah. Well, now I need to find a new caretaker. I guess. Yeah. And find somebody else to replace Marul, who's maybe not as naive and... I don't want to say an idiot, but like maybe somebody a little smarter than Marul was. Yeah. Well, I mean, when when your planet has had protection, yeah, you just kind of it, it, this is the way it always is. So why 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 do I need to question something that's always been yeah. working? Yeah. I don't. Know. So episode title the Sentinel, which I think refers to both the device and the caretaker. You know, the two mm-hmm. in one. Yeah. Um, as far as definition of sentinel, uh, one that keeps guard or a sentry or a watch or guard kept by a soldier, soldier stationed for the purpose at a particular place. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, makes sense. Um, there are absolutely no 
other foreign territory titles. Everybody called it the Sentinel. Oh, wow. Here's a question. So Um, now that we know that actually using it requires a human sacrifice, mm -hmm. do you think if we knew how, Earth still would have built one? We probably would have figured out a way to do it without requiring a sacrifice. What if there was none? That... That that then kind of reminds me of um you know like the the nuclear football you know the the briefcase with the codes in it and stuff mm-hmm. like yeah. one of the do you know like one of the original suggestions for where to keep the codes was like in a capsule that was like implanted in a person so like the president had to kill somebody to get the nuclear codes oh I did not have that holy crap uh, yeah I mean obviously they didn't go there out but that was a suggestion to to sort of make sure that like are you really sure you want to do this I don't know I don't I don't think we would at least not in the United States maybe some other country would <laughs> maybe somewhere else maybe somewhere else I, I don't think we would if yeah sacrifice was required I don't think so well I mean I'm sure there are plenty of people on the planet that would have volunteered sure you know to save mm-hmm. the planet so if you have someone who is willing to make that sacrifice to save the world would yeah would it be okay to let them i mean as long as they are you know fully cognizant and aware of what they are agreeing to sure mm-hmm. i guess yeah yeah right interesting yeah okay. that, but yeah just just the thought of do we even build it knowing yeah. that's what it requires is is an interesting Interesting thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Those are those are the thoughts I leave with you. Okay. Um, yeah. Before we wrap up, we have another email. Yay! So many emails lately. Thank you, people, for writing in. We do we do love them so much. We do. Um, okay. So this is from Jason uh, about the episode Menace from last week. Hi, Jason. Um, he says this might contain spoilers, but I will do my best and use vague terms as much as possible. And just um, FYI, there are spoilers for Atlantis in this email, but we'll get to it. So. Oh, okay. But I'm sure by the time we get to that episode, you'll probably forget about this because it's a ways away. <laughs> probably. Anyway. Okay. So I have to say that this episode is conflicting to me. It's an interesting story that is acted incredibly well. And since you mentioned that it is Don Davis's 100th episode, I would say that I like 99% of this episode. However... I fully and completely reject, ignore, and outright shun the idea that this is the origin of the replicators. It makes absolutely no sense. Oh, okay. It just doesn't work. With what we learn of the replicators later on and what the Pegasus Project learns about the Asurans and their behavior and how they evolve, it doesn't make sense for them to be created by Reese in the Milky Way. For starters, Reese's father was human. Was he? That was a question we still had. Was he human? We don't Maybe. know for sure. We, don't, we know. don't know if it was a planet of robots. Yeah. But that means his ancestors were taken from Earth by the Gould. So how did the replicators get to the Asgard's galaxy? And if they were created in our galaxy, how are they not a much bigger presence in the Milky Way? I will say when the the Asgard first mention the replicators, they do say they like found them and picked them up to study because they thought they were interesting and then took them back to their galaxy, to their, well, to their world. They they don't state where they found them, just that they found them and then took them back to study, not realizing, obviously, what they were. So it is entirely possible right. that somehow the Asgard stumbled upon Reese's planet and were like, hey, what are these things? Let's take them. Yeah, that's, that's true. So, that is or a nearby possible. planet, because Reese says yeah. that 
you know, that they all, they killed everybody and then they oh, left. Right. And then they left. So yeah, somewhere in that region of space at least. Yeah. The only races we've encountered in the Stargate universe that have intergalactic capabilities are the Ancients and the Asgard and possibly the Nox, but we never see it. It just always felt wrong. Just another story idea that they tried to put a bow on too early and expanded well and expanded well beyond later. But with what you guys said about it being right after 9-11, it is kind of a bottle episode. Minimal sets, locations, and guest stars. Yeah, that's true. So here is my headcanon theory as to the true origin of the replicators. <gasps> Break it down, Jason. I love it. Okay, so it is, It he says, sorry, it's a little long. It's not. It's great. I love this. Reese is not the origin of the replicators, and Reese's father did not invent her. Reese's father had the ancient gene and stumbled upon an ancient repository of knowledge, but an upgraded one from the returning Lantean expedition, which had files with Asuran information and prototypes specifically about nanobots and artificial intelligence. Just a reminder, the, the Asurans are basically like the human form replicators on Atlantis that like were started by nanobots that the ancients created that were, that would like attack the wraith and like, explode in their brain but they they again they sort of program the nanobots to replicate and make more of themselves right okay yeah mm -hmm. in this file he found a schematic for an early prototype of a weapon an android that would create and replicate and disperse a certain type nanobots but being that this was a prototype they were limited the reese replicators did kill everyone on her planet but they are not the great enemy of the asgard so my theory is that the replicators were created by a failed ancient experiment in a region of space that the Asgard moved into after the ancients left, similar to the world Jack went to in the fifth race. So that's the theory that makes me feel better. I'd love to hear your thoughts and counter arguments. Okay, so, so he's saying that his theory is Reese's dad stumbled upon the blueprints of how to make an Asuran prototype. Yes. Mm-hmm. I can dig it. I could totally dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. It. I don't think it completely invalidates what we see in the show, but is definitely like an interesting sort of spin on the history of Reese and her planet that we don't get. Right. And where she would yeah. even have come from. Yes. Because that's, that's all we get is that her father made her, but we don't know who he was. We don't know who the planet was. We don't know who, who inhabited it. We don't know... Why? Why, right? Or yeah. how many tries before her he had yeah. to create? We don't. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. Yeah, is she version one, is she version 10? Yeah. Right, yeah, we don't even know that. Yeah. I like this idea. I love head. I love headcanons like this. Please mm -hmm. send, it, send us in more headcanons if you have headcanons. I can Please. totally dig it. Yes, send them in. We love, we love this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I like it, Jason. We like it. Good thoughts. Yay. That's all I have. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes, I like it. Yeah, it's okay. cool. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. You can find us on Instagram at SG underscore rewatch. And now on Discord, please check the show notes for the link. Or you can email email us at woo, that's W-O-O-S-G rewatch at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time with a very big box of Kleenex for Meridian. Bye. Bye.